Welcome to the IMDb Journey podcast, where we break down every movie from the top 250 and give our thoughts, our reviews, and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, you motherfucker, you! Oh, we're doing good fellas, are we? Are go we? Get your, go get your fucking shine box. <laughs> and I'm Dean Jeffrey, and, and that's that. And today I'll be breaking down Marty Scorsese's Casino. Dean, how are you, mate? Good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you too, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I had a very fun weekend. Did you? Week. Yeah. Went That's, out. I don't, I don't went understand. Out. I, I went out, mate. I didn't see you. That's why I had a fun weekend. <laughs> no, I did go out with some work colleagues to free piss, like what you did the week before. I see how it is. You I get did. your ideas from me, do you? <laughs> yeah, but I learned from your mistakes. I didn't wake up with a massive hangover and waste my Sunday. Clearly, you didn't have a good enough night Saturday night then. I had a fun enough night, thank you very much. Fun enough. Oh, look at you. That's cute. <laughs> What about you, mate? What did you do? I uh, I did some gardening. I tended to my veggie patch, uh, pruned up my fruit trees. You can't call a weed garden a veggie patch. Oh well, in that case, I just did the mowing. But <laughs> I did it over like three days. So your lawn is so small. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I had the whipper snipper going, and there's something really wrong with it where I can only use it for about two minutes, then it conks out. And also the line for the whipper snipper I'm using just shrivels up to nothing like well you know what it's like but it's i had to keep changing the line so i got it continually dying and then i have to continually actually turn it off to change the line it's it took me ages man that sounds like far too much effort even for yourself i know <laughs> what am i doing with my life you're watching a lot of footy i hear yes now nah, fucking wrapped to have the afl back on i try and watch as many games as i can so at the sacrifice of not watching any movies anymore no i disagree i disagree because last fortnight that we did the pod v pod and what else we've been watching i think i watched four movies the day after we recorded that i watched four new movies so i'm well on my way to smashing smashing that record low <laughs> you're going to get nowhere near close to me mate i'll tell you that i mean i'm never going to and i'm okay with that because you've got your movie challenge with paul don't you of course I do. Why don't we check out those numbers? Let's. Mis Aralis. Mis Aralis. I'm winning. I'm winning. And judging by the numbers on Letterboxd, which is what I always go by, Paul is at 129 and I am at 145. But I know he's a sandbagging bastard. And I know he's got more than that. So stop sandbagging me, Paul, and tell me a number. <laughs> You're freaking me out. <laughs> All right, Hendo, what else are we doing this week? Well, after our breakdown of Casino, we're going to be looking at some listener reviews for the movie. We're going to take a look at our question of the week, which is, what is your favourite gambling film? Which is also our top five. Now, we have seen some responses that gambling could mean certain things. People think that one movie is classified as a gambling film, but people just think it's got a gambling scene in it. So it's not a gambling film. I'm very lenient on this uh, genre of film. It's very broad. Yeah. Which leads to some good answers, different answers. People could just be gambling with their lives. You know, like it's. I don't think I went that far. (laughs) (laughs) We'll also be taking a look at the draft results of our latest Pod v Pod 16 with Chris and Justin from Casual Cinecast. (laughs) Wow, really? What? (laughs) That's so mean. Wow. Have you seen the results? (laughs) Yes, uh, the result. Not going to bury the lead here. It is the biggest margin one in any Pod v Pod. But we won't ruin who won. And then we'll take a look at the second round in our best 1960s film tournament. And then after all that, it is Dean's turn to pick the movie we're breaking down next. Do you know what you're picking? I have a fair idea. I'm very, very excited to hear this one. Good. You should be. Sense the tone. Give me the update. All right, Hendo, what's the update on the IMDb Top 250? It is actually a very small one this week. We shall call it the Hendo Update. Brilliant. 
I've noticed that the pianist has moved over modern times to How number 37. How fucking good is the pianist, though? I was reading something today about it. Man, it's good. It's at number 37 now. Is it really? Yeah. I might have to pick it. Oh, that'd be a good choice. Hmm. We're looking at Spider-Verse as well. It's gone from 40 to 47. Okay, still, decent drop. Yeah, still, still going. I, I still think it's going to hit that 80, 85 mark. Very impressive. Another 2018 film, and had hum. It's gone from 142 to 147, mm. and that's pretty much it for changes or like moves. Green Book still there? Green Book, I think, went up one spot. Around ah. that, yeah, around that area. Still in that 125 area. But looking down at the bottom of the list, out of the list now, is Gangs of Wasapa, Eight and a Half, Chunking Express, and The Legends of 1900. And in its spots is Song of the Sea, PK, Akira, and we get the return of Dog Day Afternoon. Really? Yeah. It's been a while since Dog Day was in the list. Maybe it's a sign, Hendo. Hey, I'm not going to say no to it. I wouldn't ask you. I know, I couldn't say no. Just think it over, all right? Interesting. If you pick it and it goes out of the list by that point, we might have to cancel the (laughs) the episode. (laughs) All right, we're going to take a quick break here and give you a couple of promos from some awesome podcasts out there, and we'll be back on the other side with Casino. I'm Nick. And I'm Justin, and we can't believe it's already time for the 2019 live stream for The Cure. Thanks to our amazing peers, listeners, and supporters, last year we crushed our goal of $5,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. The Cancer Research Institute is funding research into immunotherapy to create a future immune to all forms of cancer. Every single cent we raise goes to them. And they're also rated over 92% on CharityNavigator.org. This year, we're aiming our sights even higher with our most ambitious event to date. Join us May 17th through the 19th on twitch.tv slash epicfilmguys for 40 hours of live content from us and other amazing shows who will join us to try to reach $7,500. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure for more information or to find out how you can be a part of the event. Together, we can make a difference. Rising from the depths of a state called Michigan, two inebriated dorks prepare their plan for intergalactic domination. Mixing their extensive knowledge of geek culture with their insatiable thirst for alcohol, these two man-children bring you a show like you've never heard before. They will tell you tales from faraway lands and have you questioning their taste in beer. But make no mistake, friend, for the best coverage of your favorite comics, films, and TV shows, there's no better source for you to get your fix. So listen up, strap in, and prepare yourself as Jake and Tom conquer the world. head in the desert that's no good we got a problem he doesn't listen to me maybe he should get lost for a while take a vacation can't make it any clearer son i would just get out i try to do everything for you even though i knew deep down inside you would bury me i buried you you buried yourself i have to be able to trust you with my life can i trust you can i trust you So, Casino released in 1995, starring Robert De Niro, Sharon Stone, Joe Pesci, 
I'll go James Woods. Yeah, you got to throw James Woods in there. Don Rickles. Yeah, we'll throw Don Rickles in there. You don't have to throw Don Rickles in there. Vincent Price. Yes. Yep, he's in all those. Frank. Uh, uh, casino Scorsese gangster films. Frank Vincent. That's the one. Frank Vincent. Well, I say Vincent Price. It's weird because when you said Vincent Price, I knew who you were talking about. <laughs> I was like, hang on a minute. His name's Frank. <laughs> Vincent Price. That name rings a bell. Anyway, directed by the one and only Martin Scorsese. One of many of his films we're going to be breaking down on this journey. I believe, what, seven or eight films? Yeah. Tons. He's second highest behind Nolan? No, Spielberg was there with eight as well. Maybe Scorsese's got seven. Anyway, let's talk about this one. This had one nomination at the Oscars that year for Best Supporting Actress for Sharon Stone. She lost that, but she did win the Golden Globe. <laughs> she lost that. <laughs> but she won the Golden Globe, so good on her. Good on her. Did you see who was considered the role for Ginger as well? Is it the Sheila who plays Ginger in- Sheila. In- is that not the most Aussiest thing you've ever said on this show? Uh, is it? What do you mean? Do Americans- Americans, and- a Sheila is a woman. They know what Sheila is, don't they? Good Aussie Sheila. Good Aussie Sheila. How are you, Sheila? Yeah, it's awesome when their actual name is Sheila as well. Do you know anyone named Sheila? I think I do actually, yeah. (laughs) Sorry, Sheila. (laughs) No, what was I saying? Ginger. Nicole Gibman? No. What? Melanie Griffith? Oh, okay. Rene Russo? Rene Russo. Cameron Diaz? Too young at that point. Uma Thurman? Michelle Pfeiffer? So pretty much all the blondes. Yeah, Madonna was almost cast. And Michelle Pfeiffer said that the character was way too close to her character in Scarface, so that's why she turned down the role. Makes a lot of sense. But in the end, Sharon Stone did convince Marty Scorsese to give her the role. wonder how she did that. She showed him basic instinct. Okay. <laughs> Just wanted to snatch that joke off. Oh, Go on. <laughs> it's too early for this. <laughs> so I looked around, but I couldn't find a budget for this film. It is unknown. Fair enough. What did it make? $42 million in America. And 116 million worldwide. That's pretty high for a three-hour movie in the 90s, isn't it? Three hours. This movie. This is the third longest film that we've broken down. Can you name the other two? Once Upon a Time in America. Yes. Did we do Ben Hur? Ben Hur. Did we do Ben Hur? Have you already forgotten about it? I was confusing it with Lawrence of Arabia. No, Ben Hur. You haven't even seen Lawrence of Arabia. (laughs) Hence the confusion. If I'd seen it, I would know there was a difference. In my mind, Lawrence of Arabia is just like Ben-Hur 2. So anyway, we, do, we don't know the budget for this film. but the That, co- that the, is right, though, isn't it? Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Thank you. The costume budget for this film was a million dollars. The costume budget. You can't find the actual budget, but you know the costume budget. Yeah. One million dollars. Did One you million. get to keep them all? De Niro and Sharon Stone got to keep all of them. I'm not surprised. De Niro had 70 different costumes in this film, and Sharon Stone had 40. De Niro out-costumed Sharon Stone. Almost double. Wow. Yeah. I mean, all, I know it's all those bright suits. Man, those suits are ridiculous. <laughs> the, the, he really pulls off the same colour jacket, shirt, and tie look with a different colour paint. De Niro can pull off a lot of things, yeah. including me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. What, have that, you get snatched, Joe. Can I get De Niro pulling me off? <laughs> So all the casino scenes were shot at the Riviera, but it was only between 1am and 4am, so not to get in the way of the real gamblers. And although the casino didn't want to shoot to interrupt its business, it didn't prevent them from trying to lure in some more punters inside by putting up a large banner that said, De Niro, Sharon Stone and Pesci are filming the new movie Casino Inside. That's how they got more people in. I mean, why wouldn't you? Absolutely. Like, those people are mega stars. Yeah. Must have Must have worked. I mean... I would have gone in. If I wasn't going to that casino and I saw that sign, I'd be going in for sure. Yeah. So let's talk about the F word. 
Fuck. 435 times it was said in this film. It was the record at the time. At the time? It's been broken twice since really? then. Yes. Uh, by what? Summer of Sam in 1999. Okay, never heard of it. Which actually tied it for 435. Okay, so it didn't break the record. And But there is one movie that did? Yeah, do you know it? Uh, Inglorious Bastards? No. It's another, it? it's another Scorsese film. Oh, Wolf of Wall Street. Absolutely. Yeah, 600 times it was said in that film. Fucking hell. <laughs> He loves that fucking word, doesn't he? He fucking does. Fucking hell, Jesus. In all honesty, this could be our our biggest use of fucking a podcast. We should aim to say fuck as often as they say fuck in the movie Casino. That'd be a fucking hard challenge. Not for you, you fucking. Like, head. what the fuck? Like, how hard would that fucking be? All right, I'll stop. That's enough. <laughs> There's the fucking explicit tag. Oh, can you not? Gene Siskel was one of the few critics to give this film a negative review. However, his colleague, Roger Ebert, gave it a four out of four. What a weird rating out no, of four. I actually, I actually prefer it. I think it'd be so much easier. No half stars. Do they do half stars? I don't think so. It's yeah, either one, two, one, three, or four. One, two, three, or four. How? Do they do zeros? Yeah, they do the turkey. There you go. So it's still five different ratings. They just go zero, one, two, three, four. Yeah, but we do all the half stars. Yeah, but you could just like extend it and go out of ten. It's the same thing. I don't know. It just it looked easier. One, two, three, four. Yeah, I mean, it's simple. It's basically, and I mean, really, how many turkeys would you give? Really, how many zeros would you give a movie? There's not many movies you'd rate half a star. I mean, I'd have to go check. Yeah, but- but exactly. So really, you've, you've pretty much got four options. Terrible, bad, good, great. I would say terrible, oh, bad, go. good, great, amazing. <laughs> That's my five. Mm, kind of missing the point of what we're talking about here. I don't care. And with an average of 8.2 over 409,000 ratings, it's currently sitting at number 143. You missed someone big from the cast. Kevin Pollock. How did I forget? Who? <laughs> you are joking, aren't you? Of course I'm joking. I know who Kevin Pollock is. If he was not in The Usual Suspects, would you know who Kevin Pollock is? Would anyone know who Kevin Pollock was if he wasn't in The Usual Suspects? Wasn't, that, he, wasn't he that guy from Casino? <laughs> <laughs> That's what he'd be. <laughs> All right, Dean, it's your turn for a plot summary. All right. A tale of greed, deception, money, power, and murder occur between two best friends, a mafia enforcer and a casino executive, compete against each other over a gambling empire and over a fast-living and fast-loving socialite. So it's a very vague plot because Scorsese's gone on record to say there is no plot in this movie. I mean, I disagree with that. You're disagreeing with the director of the film saying there's not a plot. How can you say there's no plot to this film? There's heaps of plot. There's too much plot. No, there's too much story. Okay. Can you explain to me the difference between plot and story, please? And not just for me. For all our listeners, Ando. This will be good. I'm going to take the advice of Marty Scorsese here when he said, it's three hours, no plot. So you know this going in. There's a lot of action, a lot of story, but no plot. I'm going to trust that man. I'm going to trust the man who made this. I'm going to trust one of the best directors out there who says that there's a difference between story and plot. So in hindsight, you personally have no idea. I'm going to take the advice of the man who made the film. But you can't answer the question, what's the difference between story and plot? No, I'm not an awesome director. Thank you. Just say no. Can you? No, but I'm not claiming to. I'm saying they're the same. So you're disagreeing with Marty Scorsese? Yes. How are you not getting this? How how can you disagree with this man? What? (laughs) How can I disagree with this man? He's just a man, Hendo. He's a brilliant auteur filmmaker. He is a man. All right, Dean, let's get into it. We get this awesome scene starting up with De Niro walking to his car and then cut, dummy, blow up the car. Come on, Scorsese, lift your game. This is is the most blatantly obvious dummy sitting in a car. How dare you? (laughs) He is a directing superstar auteur or whatever you said. Yeah, and this is his 
This is his glaring. Way to, way to back up your big, strong <laughs> point like this guy is perfect. Now, let's get to the very first scene where it's the worst use of a dummy you will ever see. And you see the car blow up with him inside it, yet later on he jumps out. It's it's not great. No? Uh, I don't like it at all. It's a very rough start to this film in general. Uh, when when I knew and I know, I saw, I've seen this film once before watching it for this breakdown, and I knew about this scene. I knew this dummy. I, I remember this dummy shot. It's it's really bad. I, I I don't understand why they kept it in. It's so obvious. I feel like, oh, why they kept the dummy in, I don't know, okay? I really don't know. But I feel like they leave the person in the car while it blows up, though, just so the audience thinks that this whole movie is building to his death. They could have done it at a some sort of different angle where you you, you couldn't see the other the side of the car where he, he jumps out of. You see the explosion with him getting in, something there. Like, Are you saying you could have directed this scene better than Martin fucking Scorsese? Yep. <laughs> but we do get De Niro's ace with some voiceover here. Man, there's a lot of voiceover in this film. There's so much. It's so hard to keep up with. And the thing like this- Really? I kept up with it pretty quickly. Oh, well- <sighs> I think Scorsese is brilliant at his voiceovers. No, I do too. I love the voiceover. I just mean this is a three-hour movie with non-stop plot going on (laughs) in the movie. Like every scene has so much to it. And not only are we getting the just plethora of information visually, we're also getting on top of that all these different characters' thoughts about it. It's Could you tell when it was a different character though? Like De Niro, what? De Niro and Pesci have sound very distinct no- voices. Yeah, they sound nothing alike. So yes, I could tell. You get the occasional Sharon Stone, and you get the once Frank Vincent. Yeah, that that came out of nowhere. But we'll get to that. Yes. No, I, I I love the voiceover in this film. It's just a heap of it. It does it does set up nicely though. Like he's Ace is telling us how you know he thought he could trust somebody, and well, when you love someone, you've got to trust them. There's no other way. You've got to give them the key to everything that's yours. Otherwise, what's the point? And then the explosion happens, and then I thought I was watching a Bond film. Mm. With the fire, and the music, guess, the, the people flying is, around. I guess there is no higher praise from you to say that you felt like you were watching a Bond film. Yeah. Well Hold done, on. Are, you, are you sure we were doing, you were watching Casino and not Casino Royale? I did love this next shot of Ace, though, standing at the casino. He's all in black against this, like, fluorescent, bright casino lighting behind him until he turns around and casually lights his cigarette. Like, he is... This is a man at the top of his game. And Mm. even the camera work here, it comes from a really low angle pointing up to him. So it makes Ace seem so huge and intimidating, like more so than usual. And Bobby De Niro is already a tall man. Yeah. No, it's a very, very great establishing shot of Ace here. And I did notice, though, the voiceover from Robert De Niro here, it's so emotionless. There's really no variance in tone in his voice here. Did you pick up on that here? Does that happen throughout the film? Is there any I, points I was where looking for it does it. get emotional? Not so much. Like, he's never yelling in voiceover, obviously, but I feel like this bit in particular, he's just so flat with his uh, voice work. I didn't pick up on any difference here. I thought it was very, very monotone throughout the whole film. Like, he's just, like, he's telling a story and he's letting the character in the film display his emotions. And straight away, though, we get Joe Pesci's Nicky Santoro voiceover. Very stark contrast between these two. These two are clearly the leads, and the majority of the film is their relationship and 
you know, their deterioration of their relationship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, also, obviously, Ginger. Yeah, but- She's huge but, in this. But Pesci has way more voiceover. Than Sharon Stone, who has none. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Can you think of another movie that has different characters do voiceover? What, than just, than just the main? Yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to put you on a spot. It's just I was thinking about it. Like, whenever you get voiceover, the story is told from really one person's point of view. Like, the whole movie is, would be presented through that person's eyes. To get it from two different people primarily really is a stark change from what we're used to. And I think it's needed in this film. You definitely need to have the voiceover of Nicky as he's doing his, co- like, he's the contrast of his actions to Ace's along the way. And Ace is to- trying to be, like, prim and proper. Like, he wants to be working. Legit. Yeah, he wants to be legit. And you got Nicky just fucking everything up. And I love the way that <laughs> Nicky justifies all of his yeah. stuff. Because if we didn't have the Joe Pesci voiceover, he would be a much, much. Like less empathetic character, but when we get his voiceover, we're like, you know, what's he, what's he trying to do? I'm just trying to, you know, like I got to fucking earn, don't I? Yeah, this is my living. Like you get his point of view, and it, uh, gee, it really enhances the character in a massive way. But even he, even this character who you wouldn't consider, you know, a retrospective character at all, he sets it up from the get go. Like we had it perfect. We had this fucking town under our thumb, and we fucked it up. Yeah, so you already know where this is going to go and you're along for the ride with them. You know that this is peak. This is peak for both of them mm. and you just want to watch this story just come crumbling down. I love I love how he starts talking about the desert here. It's yeah, like digging the holes. <laughs> it's like, it's, honestly, it's one of my favourite quotes of the whole movie. And a lot of holes in the desert and a lot of problems are buried in those holes. Except you got to do it right. I mean, you got to have the hole already dug before you show up with a package in the truck. Otherwise, you're talking about half hour, 45 minutes to dig it. And who knows who's going to be coming along in that time. Before you know it, you got to dig a few more holes. It could be there all fucking night. It's just, it's really funny. The way he talks about like digging extra holes and murdering more people, like it's just this minor inconvenience to him. Oh, it's, it's really funny. But I love how you never actually see him murdering people into holes. Like, like he has, he's not at any point where he's killing people for, with the dug holes. It basically kind of sets it up where he ends up. Yeah, I think the best thing, though, about this is more the scene where Nikki meets Ace in the desert. And no one that gets dug. That is a dug. great scene. No one gets put in a hole in that interaction, but there's that tension there. There's that, that fear. You yeah. wouldn't have it otherwise. And you also get that voiceover from Ace explaining, I am definitely, this is, every other time I would be 99% sure I'm walking out of there alive. Now I'm just, yeah, he's. I give myself 50-50. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're introduced to the casino manager, Billy Sherbert, Don Rickles. I hear that name a lot. I cannot tell you what he's in. Oh, really? Do you know what he's in? Yeah. What? He's Mr. Potato Head. That's what he's known for, honestly. Surely he was known before that. This is on his known for list along with Toy Story 1 and 2. Well, anyone who's in Toy Story is probably going to have that on the known for list. I don't know. Like, this is what, this is what, like, for me, Don Rickles is voices. Yeah, but I'm sure he was in, like, some old black and white 50s films, TV. He's fucking 80 in this movie. So, no one's fucking swearing, all right? (laughs) You motherfucker, you. (laughs) I'm sure he is in a lot of movies when he was younger. He probably didn't start acting when he was 75, (laughs) did he? I just want to point out how vibrant and colourful this movie is when you're in those casinos. It is like almost overbearingly bright. It is not in a bad way. It's just it's Scorsese really hammers home the lights and the colour and the glamour and the glitz of the casinos. But then when you move to outside of the casinos, it's very rough and drab. 
that contrast between the nights the night lifestyle of the loud casinos compared to the outside mobster gangster world. Mm. Very good. No, it is. I love Ace here how he's talking about how, you know, back home. Where is back home, by the way? Do they say where back home is? I don't think they do. Is, is it Jersey? Even when they Is it Jersey? Even when they show the scenes back home, the title comes up back home. Yeah. Yeah. I do love those title cards <laughs> back home. Very uh Tarantino, you know, the way they play with those titles. Anyway, he says back home he'd be arrested for doing this stuff. And here, I'm Mr. Rufstein, you know? Like, yeah. It's really good. Las Vegas washes away your sins like a morality car wash. What a line. It's a great script. It is. Written by Scorsese and Nicholas Pileggi. Maybe pronounced Pileggi. Probably because it's Italian. Probably because you're always wrong with those names. Well, I just said two, so one of them has to be right. You say the first one, it's always wrong. Okay. Nicholas Pileggi, who I believe also wrote Goodfellas. I mean, that'd make sense. These, these two films are kind of similar. They're Do you both, disagree? I mean, no. I mean, written by the same people. Both Starring have virtually the same Hedgy, people. Same Frank director. Vincent, lots Vincent of voiceover. Bits and price. That fucking guy. I love the the move through of how the casino always wins. They go into the back room and you see them all the counting the money. Room. And the guy just like... Dumps the money in the briefcase and walks out like nothing. No one even pays attention. We get, we get this great line from uh, Nikki here. It's like, everyone's dirty. God forbid they should make a mistake and forget to steal. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, the script, honestly, the script is like phenomenally good, this script. Yeah. It needs to be when you've got so much voiceover basically explaining the story as you go along, but they're, it's in, in such an entertaining way how they're telling it. Hmm. So it's here that the, we follow this suitcase to Kansas City. Maybe that's back home. I don't think so. And these big, big time mafia bosses, mafia, 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 mafia. <sighs> they meet in the back of this produce market, and these are the guys. These old men around this table are the guys who control Las Vegas, and they continue to do it all the way to the end. And the way they control Vegas is because they control who gets the loans to buy a casino. Yeah. So no one can actually get a casino without going through. Indirectly, these guys. So they are getting kickbacks from everyone. Yeah. And then Ace gets asked to run the casino, but he's very, very much, I'm going to do it my way. I don't want to be involved in that part of the business. I want to be able to control this casino the way I want to do it. You need to let me do it my way. Hmm. So from the get-go, he's very forthright in doing it a legitimate kind of way. Yeah, and he's concerned about getting a gaming license. He's like, yeah, I won't be able to do it. They'll be harassing Love those me. conversations. He's like, no, 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 no. Just, you know, be the director of food and beverage. They'll just keep rotating and it. Just rotating. change it. It goes to the bottom of the pile, bottom of the pile. And it's a decent discussion that could have just been done right there, but they actually incorporate that later on when he gets done mm. for not having the license. Yeah. And, they, and then even after that, they just do it again. They just bring him back as a different name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But seeing Ace as a manager here of this casino, he is he is on the ball. Oh yeah, like he is a super controlling manager. Even we see him walking around the casino, he picks on this dealer, splashing the checks. Yeah, he's like, "What are you doing? Don't do it like that." But then when he did you notice when he like shows him, "Don't do it like this. Do it like this." They're not even straight. Do you know what I mean? Like you know, obviously with chips, you stack them straight very easily. Yeah. This guy splashes them. He's like, "No, stack them." They're very much to an angle. I thought the way when he was dropping it, they need to drop together where the, the dealer threw them and they're like all spread apart. He's testing the die as well. He's holding it and blowing it. But we get this scene in, in the bar where Ace <laughs> sees this guy. He's like, sees his pen there. He's like, oh, is this your pen? 
He's just what? so nice about like, it. What? Oh, I saw this pen. It's a nice pen. I thought it might be yours. And this guy fucking goes off at him. I know. Like, calm down, mate. And I'll, I love Nikki here. <laughs> My God, this you motherfucker, guy. you! <laughs> okay, you hear, you hear a little girl, Frankie? You hear a little girl, Ace? Is that a little fucking girl? What happened to the fucking tough guy? I told my friend, stick it up his fucking ass. <laughs> and this quickly establishes just how much of a maniac Nicky is. Not that we need it with Pesci. You just know he's probably going to be some sort of maniac in a film. But he grabs this pen and just stabs the fuck out of him through his throat. Mm. How's this guy still breathing at the end? You see him like, like you hear him crying on the little. What are you crying? You crying, little bitch crying? He kicks yeah. the shit out of him. Yeah. One of the best shots of the film, I think, is right here where it goes to like super slow-mo and we see Nikki's face behind Ace's cigarette smoke and we get one of the greatest quotes of the film. No matter how big a guy might be, Nikki would take him on. You beat Nikki with fists, he comes back with a bat. You beat him with a knife, he comes back with a gun. And if you beat him with a gun, you better kill him because he'll keep coming back and back until one of you is dead. And we have definitely established by this point that Ace is very, very good at his job, making a lot of money for his bosses. The big boss that stands out is Remo. He's the guy that they always shine back to when they go to Kansas City. I noticed how Scorsese, every time this Remo guy is on the screen, he's the focus. It's like everything else has dimmed down and the light is on this guy. This this is the, what do you say, the godfather, basically. He's the man. He's the one. You don't even think to call me godfather. Are you okay? How was that? Was that all right? <laughs> Stick to your puns. I'll go impersonation. You do puns, all right? I did like this little uh, story about the Japanese billionaire. That was good. And he comes in, cleans them out for $2 million, and then they fake his plane troubles. Yeah. Oh, there's no commercial flights like You just got him, get him back, back in. The get him back in. Us, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> it's really, really clever, like the way these casino guys were getting them. Even here where we find out, the chain of everyone watching everyone. You got the dealer watching the the customers. You got the pip boss watching the dealer. You got the pit, yeah, all that sort of stuff. And it follows that massive chain. And then and you got the eye in the sky. I'm watching the manager, and the eye in the sky watches everything. Yeah, that was great. But it's here where everything changes. We meet Ginger. Ginger. Let's talk about the music as well here. Like, can we talk about Ginger? No, because this part <laughs> here. We meet Ginger. Moving on. <laughs> The music here, as she, as he meets her, you got this "My Sweet Baby" song. The lyrics for oh, all these songs are fantastic. I love fantastic. Scorsese's choice of music. It is a fantastic soundtrack, and it is. and every song that plays, the lyrics just match perfect with what's going on here. Back to Ginger. Okay, so we see her as this hustler, this you know woman who goes in and steals from these men, and it's odd because she's set up as someone who's very good at it, but in the very first scene that we see her in, she, she gets, gets caught eh, doing it. Eh. And then just gets starts throwing chips around everywhere. Are we supposed to think that she's really good at it? Because she's terrible with it with Ace. Every time she tries to do a hustle, he's, she just gets caught immediately. Yeah. Scorsese did say that his favourite shot in this film is the overhead shot of Sharon Stone throwing the chips up in the air in slow motion. Did you like it? I'm Can't not, argue with Scorsese. I mean, I've seen better shots of Sharon Stone. Haven't we all? <laughs> that poor VHS. <laughs> But Ace, he's he's not silly. He says, I fell in love right there, but in Vegas, love costs money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, boy does it with her. And we get Ginger's story here about she just spent her time hustling all the rich folks. Yeah, get introduced to her old pimp boyfriend, Lester Diamond. James Woods with a seedy as fuck mustache. 
Yeah. He is so different in this. Like, you think about the relationship between James Woods and Rob De Niro in Once Upon a Time in America where he is the alpha. Yes. And it's just, it's such, like, it just shows how great the performances are from both these guys mm-hmm. where you cannot imagine James Woods being the alpha in this, in the relationship with that Ace. Way. He is this weaselly, pathetic man here and he plays it perfectly. I could not remember if he died in the cell, if he got whacked or anything. He just he goes. He's just out of the out of the picture halfway through the film. And that was it. I'm like, oh, okay. That was the end of it. Which yeah. is fine. Like not everyone has to die in a fucking in a Scorsese film. They normally do. I know. And that's why I was a shock that he didn't. <laughs> Actually, when James Woods heard that Scorsese was interested in working with him, Woods called him up and said, Anytime, any place, any part, any fate. Just, I'll take it. Much like Billy Crystal with John Lasseter with uh, Monsters Inc. Mm. <laughs> We also start to see here that Nicky is very much in the eye of the, the police in everything he does. Yeah, he gets uh, stopped at the airport and they're like questioning the wife and him about like they're going through all the luggage and she's yeah. like, hey, I just folded all of them. <laughs> and the guy the guy looks at Nicky like, you know, Tell come, me on, about, yeah, come on, come on. And Nicky's like, hey, I got to live with her. <laughs> That's a pisser. And then they get home and she's got all these diamonds in her hair. Yeah. And he's like, come on, there's more there. He, starts, he slaps her across the face like it's nothing. And then immediately after, he's all lovey-dovey with her. And she's lovey-dovey with him. That's Nikki. But this is where Nikki gets sent to Vegas to make sure that no one fucks with Ace. And he goes out on the town, muscling everyone. He realizes this is a town ripe for the picking and starts doing his own shit. And it's here where we get this scene of Ace and everyone catching these two cheating at Blackjack. Yeah, really good scene. The best scene. Excellent. Really? Yeah. This sort of stuff, it in like I really enjoy these kind of things where you see the the point of view and and the voiceover of Ace explaining what he's seeing, how he's doing it, and then you the camera like lifts up and sees that perfect line of sight. Yep, exactly. You see like the see through shot of the pants and the the Morse code he's doing. Yep. I guess. and you see the process of getting. The happy birthday involved, the cattle prod, and just the perfect timing. It's like a, it's like a dance, it's like a heist, pretty much. Like, yeah. yeah, I agree. And just getting everyone fluent in that, and fantastic scene. Like these sort of scenes, I, I really enjoy, especially casino scenes where you just see the plan. The well, in fairness, every scene is casino scene in this film. And yeah, all right, good on you. <laughs> Even when they smash his hand up, as well I, got, with the I, I, I did like that. It's like, uh, are you right-handed? Yeah, yeah, what? What? You write with your right hand? Yeah, what do you mean? The guy was so casual, though. He's like, oh, he's not having a conversation with this guy. Can you write with your left hand? Oh, no. Can you learn? Yeah. Bang, bang, bang. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Harsh. No, it's really good. And then he pulls the other guy in and he's like, I'll do this to you. Yeah. Don't ever come back. Yep. Fantastic. Tell your scene. friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because things are changing. Like we didn't say, but it actually goes, we get the 10 years earlier from the carjacking scene. So we are always building up to that. As we go along. Mm-hmm. And this is where Ace asked Ginger- I mean, what- To marry him. Yeah, what, what is he doing? It's very- and I didn't know how long they'd been known each other, but then she's like, you know me for like three months. I'm like, whoa, Ace, calm down. Like, you know that she's a hustler. You don't have to be doing this. No. Who cares that you're 45? I'm sure you can find someone who's not going to hustle you. Who's 45? Ace. I think Ace said he was 45. Oh, okay. Do you know how Sharon Stone is in this film? No. Sharon Stone, not the character. Sharon Stone is or was 36, 37 when this was filmed. How old was Bobby De Niro? Oh, no idea. I didn't look at that. I just wanted to see how old Sharon Stone looked. Looked? Was. Was. Because she looked old. No offence to her. She's 
She looks much older when she's got the short hair and she's coked up. Oh, and- terrible, terrible look. But even here, like- That's the 90s hairstyle, though, wasn't it? That short hair kind of look. Was it? I think so. I love how they do the voiceover of how Ace is always hedging his bets. Everyone's at the wedding because they want to owe him the favor. And even so- when he's when we find out that he has the baby with Ginger first before they get before they get married, so he's got that locked in. Mm. You know, he's always thinking ahead. It's just weird. Like he's he's just like he knows that she doesn't love him. He knows that. Does he? Yes. Yes, definitely. She flat out says she doesn't love him, and he's like, "Oh, what is, what is love anyway? Love is a uh, oh, when he's it's proposing, a, it's a mutual respect. Like, ah, uh, like we can we can learn, we can build on that." And it's like, mate. And if you hadn't figured it out by now. Catching her talking to Lester on the wedding on day. The wedding, on the wedding night. Alarm bells. Just, that's enough. But he keeps going on with it. It goes on forever. And even when Ginger's speaking to Lester, we see, we cut to like Lester in that situation. He's got some whore with him doing <laughs> drugs. It's like, you don't care. Fuck. <laughs> but he does say in that conversation, you know, you've got the good lifestyle now. You've got the money. We, He knows, he, he, you know that he's considering getting her back, getting this money, which obviously that's what happens. Well, he gives her the to house, happen. the yeah. clothes, the jewellery, the $2 million in the bank. Again, the music on point. What a difference a day makes is playing as they get into their new house. Mm. Fantastic, fantastic. No, it is. It's funny because I think the soundtrack is very strong early and the score kicks in later on. Yeah. Like, have we heard that classic casino score yet? I don't know. Because I didn't notice it until, like, late in this film. Mm. And as soon as it came out, I was like, wow, this music is fantastic. I just kept rem- focusing on the actual songs because I just I was listening to the lyrics and how it was playing into the scene itself. Mm. At this point, we also get that great line with Ace to Ginger. All this stuff doesn't mean anything. Money, this doesn't mean anything without trust. I have to be able to trust you in my life. Which, as we know from the start of the movie, this is probably not going to happen. The trust isn't going to be there for very long. It's so funny because it's played... At the start of the movie, like you got to be able to love someone fully, trust them fully, and then bang, he blows up in the car, right? Yeah, you think it has something but to do with her. It's not at all to do no. with her. Like, it's so. I mean, you could argue that the whole Nikki situation escalates because of her, but really, it's not. It's not her. Because that's it doing does, it. yeah, it does go on through this film that the higher up, the bosses, they don't want to have this, you know, this triangle affair going on that it's not good for biz. And it's weird because the first time you hear it, you're thinking, oh, these guys have morals and stuff, and then immediately it's because it's bad for business. Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay. But I thought that was how it was going to end up. Like, Nikki's going to get whacked, Ace is going to get blown up in the car because of this, you know, resulting yeah. triangle. Yeah. But it's not. It's for this bloody fruit shop um, bugging. Mm. So this is where Ace comes up with the brilliant, quote-unquote, plan to stash all this money in the safe box and give Ginger the only key because if I'm in prison, I can't have the key. I can't use the key. I can think of like 10 other ways you could do this without giving this key to her. You know what's going to happen. Yeah, but- Bury the key. He gets the key. He has the key. He Did I miss something here? Because I thought in this scene, he tells the bank manager, this is all entirely in her name. Yeah. Yet when she goes to get it, He's on half the, the the money. Yeah, he even says that he he shouldn't be able to get it. Don't even yeah. let me get it. Yeah, no one, but not even me. At the end of it, by the time she's getting it, he has the key in his desk drawer. Yeah, and it's like she can't take that because I'm on I'm on the like I'm half, it's half yeah. of mine. Yeah. And they're like, no, no, she she her name's on it. She can take it. Yeah. So I didn't. I thought I might have missed something there, but no, I don't, I don't think you did. Cool. So you mentioned before your favorite scene was the cheating blackjack players. Absolutely. Well, my favourite scene is this one, where we get the guy with his feet on the table. Excellent! This guy. Do you want to take your feet off the table, sir? <laughs> He's like, no. And then, like, 
Ace gets his manager. He's like, oh, you know, go tell him to take his feet off the table. He walks over. You take him off. No, he walks back. I tried. I, I couldn't get him to do it. <laughs> and Ace goes up to him. He's like, all right, come on. That's enough of him. And this guy just loses it at him, calls him, oh, what does he call him? A fucking faggot, I think. Yep. Yep. And, you know, go fuck yourself, blah, blah, blah. He gets carried out by security. That's not my. That's not the best bit, though. The best bit I know what it is. Is, when, is when this cowboy goes to Nicky, goes to his mate Nicky's, and Nicky calls Ace and he's like, hey, uh, maybe you didn't know who this guy was, but, uh, you know, don't treat him like that. Give him another chance. And Ace is like, well, what do you want me to do? He has his feet on the table, call me a fucking faggot, told me to fuck myself. And Nicky's like, what? You fucking called him fucking faggot. You called him a faggot? He starts beating him with a phone and Ace is just like, like you see Ace just like listing is like, oh man, it's classic. I loved it. I also love Ace's line. I want you to exit this guy off the premises and I want you to exit him off his feet and use his head to open the fucking door. Yeah, and they actually do. Yeah, just smash him through the door. <laughs> and here we get more of the contrast between Ace who's doing a lot more innovative things in the casino world. He's His casino's getting... Much bigger and better. You know, he's brought in the bookies into his actual casino. And it's also contrast with Nikki going, doing more criminal stuff. And he's getting warned by Ace. Like, you're getting, you're putting too much pressure on yourself. There's the, the cops there keeping an eye out on you. You got to stop it. You got to stop it. And that's where Nikki gets banned from every casino. Yeah, he gets black book. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because Nikki initially is like, oh, it doesn't even exist. There's, yeah. there's two names on the, in that book, and one of them is still Al Capone. Yeah. <laughs> But no, as you say, he does get black booked and all law enforcement is on the lookout for him if he steps foot in a casino. Yep. So no one's going to have a bar of him anymore. So he does his own shit as he's prone to do. I did like this where he becomes this leader of this heist group. Yeah. I'd forgotten about all this. He gets his brother in and, you know, his mates and they just go and steal a bunch of shit. And he opens up his own jewellery store (laughs) selling it all. He just doesn't care. He just doesn't care. He doesn't give a fuck. It is hilarious. And he even opens up a restaurant when she gets his brother to look after. And, and it's here where find we see he gets his- the showgirls. He loves the showgirls. Yeah, it's here where we see his love of women. Yes. And the way he's walking this woman out to his car and it's just talking about like real casual stuff. They both get in the car. He's still talking, just grabs her head and into his lap it goes. Yep. It's so only casual. It was that easy. <laughs> I mean, what do I say? <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> I don't know, Hendo. Have you had any luck doing <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Actually, we did go past one little line, which I, I don't think I'd picked up before, where Ace says, he's just like... So I ended up working, what, 18-hour days? Ginger was the one who wound up enjoying the best of Vegas. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's, sort of, he's starting to almost resent what is happening here, that how much fun she gets to have while he works. Yeah, it's a good point. Just before we move on, I want to quickly just go back to... The scene where we get introduced to the slots manager and how he's already stuffing up before the big ra- the big jackpot breakthrough. How he's hiding the the actual slots in the back and he just has no idea the what good he's ones, yeah. yeah he has no idea what he's doing. And this is where we get uh, pretty much our first violent scene of the film with this uh, Tony guy shooting up Remo's bar. You don't think bashing a man's hand with a hammer is violent? Not like this. Shooting up, shooting up the bar, and then having this Tony guy getting tortured. Yeah, this 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 eye popping scene is. You I hear they put famous? ice picks in his balls. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, no, they, they yeah. didn't. I love the, like, this is a great scene. The Nikki voiceover here is classic. And as you say, he mentions the ice picks in his balls. And he puts his head in a vice and he's like, give me a name, give me a name. He finally does it. And he gets angry at him. He's like, Charlie M. Charlie M. Charlie M. Ah. You make me pop your fucking eye out of your head to protect that piece of shit. Charlie M. You dumb motherfucker. 
So Th- funny. This scene was actually supposed to be a sacrifice scene. What does that mean? Meaning Scorsese wanted this r- ultra-violent scene to be the one that the MPAA focus on and take out so they would not think about the other violent scenes later on. Oh, okay. But when he presented the movie to them and said, nah, it's all good. It's like, I mean, ah, I mean it's, okay. rated, it's rated R in Australia. Yeah, but it's rated R in America. It was originally going to be NC-17, but it got bumped to an R. I don't, I don't get America. So well, who can see R-rated movies in America? R is our MA. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, and this is where we get the scam of the jackpots and yeah. just unloads on this guy. He's just terrible. I, love, I, I do love the line. Listen, if you didn't know you'd be a scam, you're too fucking dumb to keep this job. If you did know you were in on it, either way, you're out. Get out. Go on. Let's go. Just perfectly encapsulates what, you know, what his issue is with him. Yeah. And how he doesn't care about the fact that he's connected and he needs to be there. He's like, no, he's bad for my business. Yeah. I'm not having him. Even the conversation he has with one of the mob bosses, one of the higher-ups, mm. and the fact that he's so- Obsessed with the blueberries. The blueberries. He's so, his attention to detail on everything in his casino needs to be perfect. And the you know, look the chef gives him is like- From oh. now on, I want you to put an equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. An equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. You know how long that's going to take? I don't care how long it takes. Put an equal amount in each muffin. Yeah, that's actually true, that. What? We haven't even mentioned. This is based on true events. Yeah. Like, these are real people. Different names, but these are real people. I watched, like, a 45-minute documentary on this. Look at you. Unfortunately, it was about four weeks ago before we (laughs) before Honestly, before Shane even said we're to watch Casino, I just watched this yeah, this documentary on it explaining all the real-life people and what actually happened and what was fabricated. A lot of it is true to life. Which I'm assuming is also including the blueberry muffins. Yes. Interesting. Now we really see the Ginger Ace relationship yeah, starting she, to deteriorate. She needs 25000 She needs 25000 And serve, and And he's absolutely correct here to go, why? Yeah, why do you need it? She gets so offended by it. And that's just classic hustler manipulation. She... Doesn't have a reason. She doesn't want to give it. So she puts on that. Why? Well, how dare you? Have some more respect for me. And he's like, I'm just asking you yeah. what you need it for. I, I could really, I'm not out of line. I could really relate to this. Yeah. And it's obvious how guilty she is. And that's the yeah. issue. Like, he knows something's not right. Yeah. It's essentially, if just, you have nothing to hide, why can't you just say it to me? What do you need the $25,000 for? Like, she, she just can't just give say, an answer. She could just say, oh, I'm having a huge party with my friends. We want to live it up. Just you'd, Coke. Just want Coke. He'd probably do it. Like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Maybe not, but still. I want to redecorate the bathroom. Oh. I want to put it all on black. And she gets it, right? And she's sitting in this diner with Lester, and he just walks in. And it's so great. Sits next to his wife. What does she think's going to happen? She is acting so coy about what she needs the money for. She walks out and goes straight to the bank to take it out of the deposit box. Yeah. Of course he's going to be having someone look at her. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. When he just strolls into that diner. And I actually love Sharon Stone's performance in this scene. Like, it's one of the few times where she really goes into herself and isn't extroverted. She does not say a word. Mm. Like, he just- Because she knows she's been caught. He just- Robert De Niro just owns this scene, and she just shies away from it. And James Wood, he's he's so pathetic. He is. In a great way. Oh, yeah. Especially when he's looking around, he sees everyone, like, standing at the entrance- Mm. The exits, he's just like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, he's lucky to walk out of there alive. Yeah, I think Ace fucks up, though, having Lester beaten in the car park here. What do you think you should have done? Not had Ginger see it. 
Ah, okay. Because she could hear about it and you'd have a much different reaction from her than actually physically seeing this guy that she obviously loves getting the shit kicked out of him. Like, in her mind, that's almost unforgivable. Yeah, she's going to resent Ace even more now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I love that Ginger goes to Nikki, though. Even though Nikki's the one that set it up. Yeah. And when- he's, so, he's just so like, yeah, yeah, it was, that was harsh. That was, you know, shouldn't have done that. He's so, ah, he's so slimy as well. He's just, he's clearly manipulating her as well. He's, you even, can see the even, movements. He's, he, even later on when, when Nikki's like talking to Ace and he's like, oh, you know, Ginger, she, she called me up and, uh, and he's like, oh, did you fail to mention your part in this? <laughs> So like, like, nothing to do about it. Like, it wasn't important. Yeah, it's not important. <laughs> but no, it's definitely, you can tell immediately here that something dangerous is going to happen. She's far too affectionate towards him. Yeah, you know what's coming. But you can tell he's trying to resist here. Like, honestly, this scene here, she's like giving him little kisses on his face. He's really being stoic He's here. very, very tempted, but he's- He's tempted, yeah. but he does the right thing. He, he you know, he stops it. Probably should have just gone, get away from me. Probably shouldn't have taken the conversation- to begin with. Yeah, fair point. We get this scene of Ace taking this interview with this cowboy guy. I love the added touch that he's sitting in the office with his pants off. It's his of, domain. Of course you would love that It's touch. his domain. You would Why love does he that need his touch. pants off? If I had as the opportunity. As much as you love. If I had the opportunity. <laughs> if I had the opportunity to sit in my office without any intera- interruptions, I'd definitely just be relaxing as much as possible with my pants off. No, that's terrible. Why? Anytime anyone wants to come in, you got to hold on. That's what I don't do. It. That's what on. I don't do it for. That's- if I had his office where I've got a receptionist and you don't have anything booked, no one's coming in. Why the hell not? Get as comfortable as possible. Yeah. Do you know why he would take his pants off? To avoid the creases. Correct. Yeah. But he stick to his guns here. Doesn't hire this guy's brother-in-law back. And this is the guy that ultimately gets his license. So he gets him in court. And this guy gives a great line here. Mr. Rothstein, your people never will understand the way it works out here. You're all just our guests, but you act like you're at home. Let me tell you something, partner. You ain't home. But that's where we're going to send you if it hair lips the governor. And you can really start to see where this is going in regards to the old guard basically still in control of this place. Even though you've got Ace and you've got Nikki who seem like they're in control, no, no, these guys- They're not behind, the law. Yeah, behind the curtain, these guys are always in control. Yeah. And then you get this conversation with Ace and Ginger. Yeah, she's t- he's like, oh, we're, we're on my pain medications. That's three months worth for me. Ah, she loves it. He's like, oh, the drinking's not enough? Yeah, he knows her flaws, but they semi-patch it up. Like, it's not very convincing. Nah, terrible marriage. Like, really, truly toxic. Absolutely. And, like, in fairness to Ace, he tries to take care of her. He really does yeah. in, like, the best way he knows how. I can see his gradual progression of his relationship with her. It's really good. Like, he, yeah, he's he, he loves her. He's yeah. forgiving. He tries to accept her. And then as it goes on, he gets much more angry and he's threatening to kill her and get the fuck out of his life. Yeah. And it, Robert De Niro, his progression of this relationship is fantastic. Hmm. But we see the cash keeps rolling in and here's where we see the staff are robbing the robbers. Which is great. You see little pickpocketers and the higher-ups can't do anything about it. It's like, well, can we stop them from robbing us? No, because we're robbing that. We're robbing, the, we're robbing the money already. What can we say? So this is basically Kevin Pollock's time to shine, isn't it? Where he gets sued. Time to shine, really? It's his only portion, really, isn't it? Shine. Does he shine? No. Is he there? He's there. What, do you get a team of monkeys working around the clock on this? <laughs> 
He, he doesn't shine. He's so... He's, he's, I mean, he's never going to standing next to Rob He's the straight guy in this. Yeah, he just talks normally. He's yeah. he's there. Yeah. But it's the fact that he gets sued by this partner, which, you know, opens up the books. She didn't know what she was getting into here. No. And Nikki just comes in, just bang, just like right, shoots her three times straight in the head. I was like, that was... I didn't remember that. I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> That's the end of her. Yep. And we get some classic... Uh, media manipulation here where Ace goes on records to say that he's the boss. Oh, that's classic. Yeah, I saw that. I saw the journalist, the way she was asking the questions, like I'd forgotten this was going to smash cut to I'm the boss, but it's just like, <laughs> so you, you know, so while Philip Green's not there, you, you're in charge. He's like, oh, I look after the day-to-day operations. Yeah, so you're the boss. I guess if you look at it that way, then maybe, maybe I'm the boss. Bang! <laughs> I am the boss. <laughs> it's classic. And it's from this quote that the higher-ups finally get sick of this ace guy taking control of everything, and they search for his license to yeah, put him under investigation for not having the, the casino license. Yeah. We get a nice little scene here of Nikki and Ace talking over the phone, and I love that they're talking in code because the phones are tapped, but you get the subtitles of what they're actually saying. Mm. That was very good. No, it was good. And I think that it's something that is real real subtle. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's just a nice little touch. And Scorsese does a lot of playing with the, the genre and filming techniques, and it's stuff like this that like he's just putting some text over the top, but it, it really goes a long way with the style of his films. But we also see here that their friendship is starting to form some cracks, starting yeah. to be jeopardised here. This is when Nicky's sort of saying, like, Ace is disrespectful to his wife. Like, the balls on this guy. Oh, come on. If we haven't established the balls on this guy already... <laughs> Here's a little conversation with this Mr. Clark guy. For instance, tomorrow morning I'll get up nice and early, take a walk down over to the bank and walk in and see you. And uh, if you don't have my money for me, I'll crack your fucking head wide open in front of everybody in the bank. And just about the time that I'm coming out of jail, hopefully you'll be coming out of your coma. And guess what? I'll split your fucking head open again because I'm fucking stupid. I don't give a fuck about jail. That's my business. That's what I do. It's great. Oh, yeah. He's so good. <laughs> he's definitely seen what's worked for him with Goodfellas. Yeah. And just gone, tried to go to the next level, you know. Yeah. And we hear that Nicky's basically going to do his own thing now. He's not even listening to the higher-ups. He's yeah, going, and Ace- people are just dying and getting murdered everywhere. He's getting accused of every single murder. We get this montage of murders from him. It's really good. I love a good montage. But I love this scene where Nicky's golfing. And Ace is in his backyard talking to the gaming commission guys. And then this plane just... Yeah, because I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, what is this plane doing? Runs out of fuel. Again, this actually happened in real life. It didn't run out of fuel, though. They had, like, engine troubles. Wow. But, yeah, the FBI landed. They just run. Yeah, like, what are they going to do? Yeah, exactly. So embarrassing. Yeah, and Ace is just trying to play it cool. He just wants his license. He just wants his gaming license, hmm. and he wants to go straight. He wants to play it straight. And this is really good. He's just saying to these guys... You know, I just want to. I just want a chance. I just want a fair hearing. He's you not trying all to bribe the research, them or anything yeah. like this. He's being so open with them, and they're so like respectful. They're like, "Oh, thank you. You've been great with us." All this sort of stuff. And then when you get to his hearing, straight and, away, and it's just, um, you know, motion to deny the license, seconded. I, I, yeah. I, motion denied. And Ace is what? What? Yeah, and he loses it. He starts accusing them all of <laughs> being corrupt. Was I not at that dinner that you had there? Was I not there? Just say that. Just, you know, say that one thing. I'm not a liar. (laughs) Fucking cocksucker. (laughs) And in the midst of all this, 
we find out that the fruit shop has been bugged by this uh, this uh, Pescano, whatever his name is, mm. and this is going to be the thing that brings them all down. Yes, it will. What do you think of this Ace's High show? Because this was a legit thing too. Yeah, this really happened. It's it's weird. It is weird. And it's, it really doesn't feel like it fits his character either. No. Like I didn't think he would be the person who- to say, like, I'm not, I'm not doing a TV show. Yeah. It's, yeah. But it happens. Yeah. So. so, all right. Yeah. All right. So, we can see that Ace is having a bit of a hard time with Nikki here. And he does mention to one of the mob guys that Nikki just needs to go away for a while. He doesn't mean it in like a kill him kind of way. Just no. like go, just just leave for a little bit and just until everything dies off. Yeah, and the problem with the mob is they, they love to talk. Yes. And it appears that nothing really stays secret for long. So it's funny, like you see the FBI are bugging these guys' phones. So you've got the women talking about just pointless stuff, doing their thing, because they know that after a certain amount of time, the FBI by law have to stop listening if it's not a you know, criminal-related mm. phone call. So the guys are waiting next to the wives and then they quickly, they say, you know, let's meet here this time. No, you know, 100 metres up from there. Yeah, 100 metres up. And that's where they're like, ooh, interesting. Mm. But they don't have time to explain it. He's like, that's, and that's Nikki's thing. He's like, what does it matter? We'll just do it. We've got to go. Like, yeah. be there. Yeah. And so he doesn't have time to say why, why are we doing this? Yeah. And it's here where we get the voiceover from Ace saying that he's unsure if he's actually going to leave this meeting alive. I love the fact that Nikki has to change cars six different times to uh, mm. get avoided by, you know, the tail that's on him, all the undercover car parks. That was funny. Yeah. Uh, very, uh, like, high-speed stuff as well. Mm. Quick cuts. We talk about how good this this scene is between De Niro and Pesci. Most of the conversations between De Niro and Pesci were actually improvised. Martin Scorsese would tell them where to start and where to end, and the rest was up to them. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, these guys have been working together for a a long time now, film, a lot yeah. of movies. Third, after uh, Raging Bull. And Goodfellas. Yeah, yeah, obviously. And not last. No, we've got one coming out this year. Yes, we do, The Irishman. It's going to be a good one. To, I can't wait for that one, to be oh, honest. It's going to be great. Yeah. I love this scene of Nicky playing Blackjack. Oh, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's, he's out of control. Yeah. He's actually out of control. And I love, I love the interactions with the dealers. Like, you got the woman starting and he's like, what are you grinning at, you fucking, you know? <laughs> and then she sort of looks over and the guy comes in and he's like, oh, look at this fucking thing they've given me. <laughs> no, but finally, Ace and Ginger get a divorce. This is where you can see Ace has just had enough. Yeah, she goes to Leicester. She takes the kid. She takes she takes the two million. Yeah. She takes the two million and Amy, the daughter, and she goes back to him. Yeah, well, she, Ginger's, Ginger realises that the, the life she would have with Leicester Probably not going to be because she, she knows. Is this the last time we see Lester? Yeah, because she goes back to Ace after this, and then he he just gets she left takes behind. Takes all the jewels and all the money. Crazy. But Ace calls him. Great phone call. I want to talk to Ginger. Put her on the phone. She's not here, Sam. Lester, listen to me very carefully. I want to talk to Ginger. I want my kid back. I want to put on a plane immediately. Can I call you back in a few minutes? 702-472-1862. Mm-hmm, 1862. Okay, good. I'll call you right, right, right back. You got it. It is good. Because Lester treats him like he's an idiot. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got your phone number. Uh, just, oh, yeah. yeah, the phone number. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then Ginger's like, uh, he called you here. Yeah. He knows we are here. There's probably people on the way right now. We need to go. And he's like, ah, you know, we're fine. That's a form on these two people, though. Ginger's doing fucking lines of coke right next to her daughter, who's not really young anymore. Like no. she's 
probably, what, 10 at this stage? Yeah, 9, 10 years old. But Lester is so mean to her. He's the awful stepfather kind of figure. Like, he's just like, oh, no, we'll take her to, you know, some South American place, we'll use her for blackmail and all this sort of stuff. What does he care? Junkie getting the money. Two million's fine. Like, just take the two million. But it turns into, like, this this game of Chinese whispers or this telephone game where she calls Nikki because she's scared of what's happening. So Nikki goes to Ace and says, you got to call her. Isn't that not more alarm bells for Ace? Like, why is she talking to you and you coming to me? Well, at this point, nothing's happened between them, though. No, but it's still odd. It is odd. But, yeah, Ace finally does talk to Ginger. She agrees to come back, yada, yada, yada. The great bit, though, is when he's just like, he comes back and he's like, all right, how much money did you spend? It's like, oh, 25 grand. 25? Okay, I can live with that. 25, okay. Yep. And then he does not let it go. No. He's like, oh, I'll just spend 25 on. Oh, you know, just stuff. No, what? Oh, clothes and stuff. Clothes. Okay. How many <laughs> how many suits could he buy with that? Even if he knew how to buy suits. You know, what suits would he buy? I can't even get fitted that quickly. doesn't make sense. What He's else? right onto it. Oh, oh, you know, a watch. A watch. He wouldn't know what a fucking good watch costs. You know, Why couldn't you just say it? It's clearly like drugs. Just, just say you gave it to him. Who cares? Like, there's no need. It's 25 grand, and but Ace. And it's, and it's this shit that pisses him off. Can't blame him. Like, really. No, of course not. His wife kidnapped their kid, goes yeah. to an ex. But he gives her a beeper. This weird thing. Like, that's never going to work. So I can always, you know, get in contact with you. The way the beeper works is he beeps her saying, call me, basically. Yeah. So then she has to find a phone to Before call. Before the use of mobile phones, there were yeah. beepers, pages. This is actually where the score has started to kick in. This is where I've written down that the score is fantastic. I actually notice it now. This is where Nikki and Ginger finally hook up and he does his patented Nikki move of shoving the head down to the pants. Mm. She's not resisting. No. But he, but she's afraid of Ace. She's sick of him. She wants him to die. And you got Nikki who takes her in like he is the the brooding man now, the the gangster guy, and she just falls for it immediately. Mm. So, of course, she's going to succumb to the head in the pants, but they get photographed. I love how we see, once again, how smart and on point Ace is. When she comes home, where'd you go for lunch? Oh, I went out with Jennifer. What'd you have? Mm. I had a salad. What'd she have? Same. All right, I want you to call Jennifer and I want you yeah. to talk about that conversation while I'm listening. I'm like, wow, that is so good. And you just see her, she's like, oh, shit. I mean, the problem is, like, he's being incredibly controlling, jealous. Do you blame him? Well, that's the thing. Like, she's actually cheating on him. So she's can't- kidnapped the kid and yeah. fucked off. Like, she's lucky she's still in the house. Yeah. And we sort of get Ace now, like, He's like, oh, I hope it's not who I think it is. <laughs> and I was like, he knows, and that's that's messed up. Yeah. Like for business. And it's here that we get the uh, the Vincent Price voiceover. <laughs> it's Frank Vincent, idiot. <laughs> yeah, Frank Vincent as he's meeting with, uh, was it Remo? Yep. And he's just like, now, I know I'm in a position here where if I lie, it could be my, my ass. He if asked I tell the, the truth, it's all our asses. He asked him the question and it freezes. Oh, I thought there was a glitch in my movie. Yeah. Like, what happened? Yeah. I was ready to, like, turn it off and turn it back on. <laughs> then I hear his voiceover. I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. It's new. A new voice. I mean, it's awesome. Like, why not? Why not have another voiceover? Sure. Have another, you know, just this one scene, a totally different character's perspective. Works well. But we see Nicky and his crew were... Uh, Getting a little fucked up now. No, nah, they've hit rock bottom. Yeah. You see, this actually very memorable for me scene where he can't knock this guy down. 
It's like, oh, you know, Ace is like, oh, back in the day, it'd take one punch to deck a guy, and now he just can't. Yeah, he's drunk and on coke and just all out of it. Then this blue guy gets killed for having a sub, like a hero sub or yeah. something in his hand, and then they go and shoot up the cop house. Yeah. They're, I mean, this just, yeah. they're out of control. Yeah. And if we haven't established how bad of a mother Ginger is, tying a kid to the fucking bed. You could just leave her. She's not like four years old. But she, she's not like this. Like that's it's this, really this is, bad. Like she doesn't have a parent as well. Like not a parent. Yeah, really, really terrible. But you know, Nikki calls Ace at the house, and he's sort of like, "Yeah, I can't talk." Blah blah blah. And he's like, "Yeah, no, it's, she's here. What? Ginger's here. Hang up." Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, "Offer to here. This is great. This is a great performance here from De Niro. Mm. Just trying to not raise his voice, keep it under wraps, but he's just like banging the table. I'd have fucking had you committed. You fucking do that again. I'll, what? I'll, up. I was just gonna I should be have out been. for a little while. I mean, she was asleep. I was gonna listen, be right back before she listen, even woke up. Listen to you, fucking oh, cunt. Listen to me. Let me tell you something. I was gonna be listen back to before me. she even woke up. Listen, Kev, you ever fucking touch her again, you ever do anything like that again, I'll fucking kill you. Pure and simple. You hear me? Pure and fucking right, simple, I'll fucking kill you, bitch. You fucking whore. I'll sign anything you, you want me but to sign, okay? I just want the key to my jewelry and I want you to let me go. You want your jewelry? I want you to let me go. I want to let you disgrace me, you fucking pig. You let you disgrace me? Get up. Get up and be a mother. Get in the car and go to the house right now. Just tearing shreds off her. Yeah. Once a hooker, always a hooker. Yeah. All that sort of stuff. It's it was great. great. But Ginger, she just can't help herself. Even after all this, she goes back to the restaurant Back to Nikki. Thankfully, Nikki actually has some sense to him yeah. this time. Slaps her around, which we don't condone. That's not the sense. No, that's not the sense. But tells her she's got to go back. And she's like, oh, I'm going to the FBI. I'll fucking yeah, rattle all this out. Don't say that. What is she doing? Yeah. Like, this is just death sentence stuff. She says her. she's going to the FBI to Ace as well. Tells them all, nah, I'm yeah. going to go to the FBI. Yeah. But she doesn't. She just starts driving, trying to drive <laughs> through the living room. She just wants She just wants that key. That's all she's after, this jewellery. I love how the cops come and Ace just knows them on first name basis. Yeah, that's is, good. That's great. And they let her in and she gets the keys. She breaks open the... How did, how did she know they were there? Did she... I mean, it's his desk. Why would he let her in? Why wouldn't, Can't he go in there with her just to keep an eye on her? Yeah. She drives to the bank. She takes all the money. And then she gets pulled over by the FBI and Ace says, like in fairness to her, she didn't, she didn't say anything. Like mm. she kept she kept silent. She's... Good, good for her. Is this some sort of bait and switch? Like throughout this film, we're led to believe that this ginger is going to be the, the yeah, downfall of him. But and this battle between Ace and Nikki on the way, this is the big reason why everything gets destroyed. But it's not. This is hmm. this is it. This is where it is. The feds come in and take everyone down. Except all the, Ace. Except Ace. They. The, the, it's it's all this bugging that yeah. they've got. They've got all this information, and everyone gets taken down here. Yeah. Well, the bosses they order hits on. Everyone basically. I love it. So they they just squeal. do it in the back of the courtroom. They're all faking like they're all sitting there with yeah, their masks on. Oh, yeah, yeah, decrepit yeah. men. And then it all just gets sorted out in the back of the courthouse. Mm. And this is where we get like... House of the Rising Sun plays. Mm-hmm. Another great choice. And this is just where everyone just gets offed. Mm. All these people. Yep. People getting killed left and right. So the ginger, oh, and we get Ginger's ginger just, scene. Ginger just ODs. Yeah. Uh, they do say that she gets a, a hot shot. Like some sort of, in, yeah, that was like meant to take her out. But they said that all the money was used, so yeah. really didn't have much use for her, I guess, by then. Then we get back to the start here. Ace and the metal plate in the bottom of his seat. Ah, oh, yeah, okay. Putting the dynamite in the passenger seat as well. Yeah. It's, Amateur job. It's weird. But they say it's an unauthorised hit. Most likely it was Nikki, obviously, mm. and the bosses don't like that, so... 
Frank Vincent takes him out. Yeah, where was... I mean, I, he obviously just serves Remo. Beats him. Like, really beats him. Well, he gets him back for taking his fucking shine box. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we've been given no motivation. But I guess, I mean, they're just showing that's how it is. He's been told by yeah, Remo to take him told, out, so he's going to do so it. So he does it, but... Like he's like, oh, this scene. And his brother makes him watch the brother. And then when they finally, like, after they've beat him, they strip him. You see him all bruised up. They put him in the dirt, in the hole, and then his face is just red. Yeah. They put the dirt on him. He's still breathing. Yeah, buried him alive. Oh, it's such a hard scene to watch. Mm. And again, back to the car bombing. He gets out in time, and we get this really long final voiceover from Ace, just really lamenting how Vegas just is... Isn't the same. It's gone to shit. It's like Disneyland now. There's no standards. You know, back in the day, everyone would know everyone's name and, you know, what drink you'd had. There's none of that anymore. And Ace winds back up where he started, betting on sports. Yeah, that's the story. That's his story. And that's that. Any last words? All right, Dean, what's your final thoughts, mate? This is a film for me that I had at five stars. Um, One of my favourite films of all time. Fantastic cast, amazing director, obviously. The performances on show here are really, really standouts. I feel like this is one of those films that maybe does not benefit from the 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 process of analysing and taking notes while watching because this is an extremely long film at three hours and when I'm constantly pausing, making notes, going back, it gets even longer. For me, the runtime was a, a, a bit of an issue, was a bit of an issue. And even like picking out favourite scenes, and I know we spoke briefly before, Hendo, about how it actually wasn't easy to pick a favourite scene out in this movie. There's no standout, like huge standout moments. It's all very, there's no real highs and lows in this movie. It's just a very steady high standard of film. It's just really, really long. I was considering dropping it down to four and a half, in hindsight, though, I don't think that's fair to this movie. This is a masterpiece of filmmaking. I'm going to leave it at five, but if I was to uh, touch up my all-time ranking, I reckon I definitely would drop it down a bit. Having said that, though, this film is still... Amazing. Incredible. Outstanding. What about you, Hendo? So this is our first Scorsese film we're breaking down, and he starts off with a bang with something he does so well, a gangster film. Casino has a solid, solid screenplay, and wonderful use of voiceover from multiple characters. It's used fantastically. The vibrant colours and glitz and glamour of Vegas are presented great too, which is interesting given the stark contrast of the seedy outside life of Vegas and the mob industry that gets shown to us. But Scorsese, he makes it work. The three lead performances in De Niro, Pesci and Stone are all fantastic. They engulf themselves in their characters and the chemistry between each other is on point. And of course, since this is a Scorsese gangster film, the violence is brutal and hard to watch at points, but this is the world these people live in, and we would feel cheated if we weren't shown this. This is a great film, albeit slightly too long, I agree with you. It's not a five-star for me, never was a five-star, and it doesn't quite hit that amazing wow factor that other Scorsese films do, but it's still definitely one I would recommend to everyone, and I give it four and a half stars. Very good. I was the best because the crowd loved me. All right, Dean, where is this going to sit on your rankings? So I'll go to my lowest ranked five-star film here to start things off, and that is Terminator. I do think it's better than Terminator. Next up, Silence of Lambs. This is probably where the real debate uh, is because the next one's Die Hard, and Die Hard is definitely better than this. So do I like this more than Silence of Lambs? No, I don't. 
I think Silence of the Lambs is a better film, so I'm going to leave it there at the new number nine. Okay. What about you, Hendo? Okay, I've got it a little bit lower here. Why don't we start it off at the number 18 spot against Logan? And I do think the Casino is a better film than Logan. On to the next spot with It's a Wonderful Life. And I think the Casino is better than It's a Wonderful Life. On to the last breakdown, we did Stand By Me. And this is where it's going to stay. I think Stand By Me is a better film than Casino. So I'm going to put Casino at my new number 17. Fair enough. Movies are bombing all over the country. They are posing as movies you already know. They may be in your theaters, your neighbor's home, or even your own. Why are you doing that voice? I don't know. (coughs) I thought it made me sound cool. It doesn't. I'm Jason Bishop, host of the Invasion of the Remake podcast with co-hosts Sam Stepanenko and Trish Coughlin. Join us each week as we rotate talking about your favorite films and their not-so-favorite remakes. We'll also dig deep to find forgotten films that we think are more worthy of remaking, complete with our own fantasy casting. You can get all 130 episodes and counting on... Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and all the best podcast providers, even frickin' YouTube, for the low, low price of absolutely nothing. Join the invasion. Subscribe today. Or we'll blow up your planet. Hey, listeners, we just want to take a quick second here to thank you all for taking the time out of your day to come and listen to us banter on about movies and all things movie-related. Yeah, it really does mean a lot to the both of us. We're always looking to improve our show to get our name out there, and there's a couple of ways you can help us. Yeah, one of the easiest ways is to just get the word of mouth out there. You know, let your family and friends know about the show and where they can find us, which is pretty much everywhere. Places like Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, and another personal favourite of mine, CastBox. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, you can contact us on Twitter at twitter.com slash imdbjourney, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash imdbjourney, or you can email us at imdbjourney at gmail.com. Exactly. Another way to help us out is to leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes for us. Or if you're really loving the content and are looking for more, why not check out our Patreon where we post another weekly show breaking down films not on the IMDb Top 250 list. Yeah, that's right. What have we got coming up this week, Hendo? Well, Dean, we're taking another break in our X-Men series and we've got a patron-requested review coming up and it is from one of our top-tier patrons, Mr. Shane Jeffrey, and he has selected the Lars von Trier film Dancer in the Dark. Yeah, he uh, loved the house that Jack built so much, so he's obviously gone on and watched this and loved this one as well. So a bit of a different film. I'm uh, a bit curious to watch it, to be honest. Yeah, I'm not a Lars von Trier fan myself, so this is going to be quite an interesting film to go and check out and to discuss with yourself. Absolutely. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, head on over to patreon.com slash imdbjourney and check out the myriad of rewards and benefits we have to offer. Hi everyone, I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Dave. I'm Joel. And I'm Austin. And we are Films on Trial. Basically, we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. The films are suggested to us by our listeners and are then picked out of the hat at random, as are our roles. The first role is that of the defense who is trying to get the film placed on the hit list. And then there's the prosecutor who is trying to condemn the film. And most importantly, we have the judge who decides which list the film should be placed on based solely on the arguments put to them and not using their own opinion. There's also plenty of other things to keep you entertained, including some terrible songs, some poor xylophone playing, some questionable impressions, a captain contest a quiz and a whole host of banter 
So if you like the sounds of that, then why not check us out on your local podcast platform or on our website, filmsontrial.co.uk, where we will be in your ears. In the meantime, back to you, Daniel and Dean. All right, Dean, let's get into... We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this could be it. Oh. And let's start off on Twitter here. First one we got here from Jimmy Roberts. I disagree that it's superior than Goodfellas, but have to agree that it is amazing. Sharon Stone is brilliant as the great James Woods, but Pesci for me is at his absolute best, as mean and loathsome as any on-screen villain has ever been. And yes, the fastest three hours of cinema. Mm. It isn't when you're pausing and making notes, I'll tell you that. Next up from Great Lakes True Crime, Casino is a totally underrated mob movie. The James Woods storyline adds a human dimension unseen in most mafia films. While Goodfellas is my number one, Casino is a close second. Here's two quick ones I'm going to read out. One from Martin White and one from Mark Farnsworth. It's better than Goodfellas. I'm going to have to say I disagree. Just a little review of Goodfellas for myself. Was that a review, was it? It is better than Casino. That's my that's my review. Okay. Next up, from Mitch, Casino is Scorsese's operatic masterpiece. Visceral, unrelenting, and a fast three hours. Much more refined and cohesive than Goodfellas. And holy shit, those costumes and that production design. How is this not considered top-tier Marty? Marty! <laughs> Man, there are a lot of these better than Goodfellas ones. Here's one from Cinema Recall. I think Casino is way better than Goodfellas and is one I can watch on repeat viewings. Interesting. And just to be uh, a bit of the on the contrarian side of that, from Julio the Contrarians, the poor man's Goodfellas is still better than most gangster movies. No, fair enough. Okay, over on our letterbox page here, we have one from our patron, Joe Banyard. He says, well done, Shane. Shane! <laughs> A film from the top 250 I haven't seen, and what a treat. They don't make them like this anymore. So thank you, Joe, for that. And speaking of Shane, we've got... Shane! Goodfellas is often... What? I thought we were doing Casino. (laughs) Goodfellas is getting a lot of uh, mentions here. Goodfellas is often heralded as Martin Scorsese's best film and one of the best gangster movies of all time, whereas Casino is comparatively left to linger in the shadows as just another good movie. Personally, while both movies are among my favourite films, I think Casino has a significant edge on Goodfellas and is ultimately a finer piece of cinema. When I watch Goodfellas, I know I'm watching it. What is it with this movie and just let's compare it to Goodfellas? Have we not had this discussion already? but like... They're completely different stories. It's not like they're sequels or anything. Because this one is a story, the other one is a plot. When I watch Goodfellas, I know I'm watching an excellent movie. Great acting, great story, damn entertaining. But for some reason, Casino has a more personal touch. De Niro's portrayal of Ace Rothstein, parented with the gorgeous production design, makes for a captivating foundation before the film even gets going. Often when I watch this movie, the experience reminds me of playing a really good video game. You become so invested in the movie's surroundings that you forget the time is ticking by. The film rarely has quiet moments where you can breathe. It's always giving you new information and keeping you on the edge of your seat. Joe Pesci's role as Nicky Santoro is very similar to his role as Tommy in Goodfellas. But with Nicky, I feel his motivations are clearer and you're able to get into his shoes as much as Ace's. The character has more depth. So you put these two great actors with two great characters and you put it into the tune of a true story regarding Las Vegas and the mob and it's just an awesome experience from start to finish. Even at 143 on the IMDb Top 250 list, 
I'd say it's massively underrated. Thank you very much, Shane. Thanks, Shane. All right, now it's time for... Answer my question! The question, jerk! Where we asked you, what is your favourite gambling film? Let's start over on our Facebook page, mate. First one here from the Dare Daniel podcast, Colour of Money, no doubt about it. Next up from Michelle Jane, Rain Man. Dipak Patel says, Rounders, being a Texas Hold'em aficionado, it's the closest movie that captures all the nuances of the card game, plus it's a damn good movie. Lastly on Facebook from patron Aliani Silvermist, The Sting. Speaking of our patrons, let's head over to our Patreon. First one here from Ben Mulverhill, Casino Royale, and I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Wink. Next up from Dan Brennick, Casino Royale. And our last one here from Chris Beardsall, The Hustler. I actually haven't seen The Hustler. Okay then. Have you? I have. Is it in the 250? I don't think so. Oh, okay. And over on our Twitter page, from a podcast about something, it's a toss-up between Ocean's Eleven and 21. I think I have to go 21, because gambling isn't really the focus of Ocean's. That's what I was talking about at the start of the episode, how some people have different opinions of the gambling film, which is fine. Hmm. From Sam at the Movie Reviews in 20Q's podcast, Snatch. The Nerd Herder podcast says, Rounders, no question. Cinema Recall says some of our favourite flicks on gambling include The Killing, House of Games, and Hard Eight. Kevin Brackett says got to be The Hustler or The Cincinnati Kid. <laughs> Dave at the Super Movie Brothers says Pool Hall Junkies. Ooh. <laughs> this is a cheap B-movie, but I've always loved it, and Christopher Walken is always a delight, and you can never go wrong with Chaz Palmentry. Have you seen it? I absolutely have seen Pool Hall Junkies. How good is Pool Hall Junkies? Pool Hall Junkies is one of those... Just like popcorn movies that it doesn't, it's not, it's nothing special to me, but it's like, yeah, I could slap that on and just watch that for the fun of it. Whatever. Fuck it. Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. <laughs> me and my, Charles here. I've been knowing him since he'd been knee hard to a duck. <laughs> no. What about their discussion about God, the, the, the length of uh, vaginas and uh, how much untapped virgin vaginas there are? And the guys are sitting there like, what is wrong with you? And he's like... Like what I'm thinking right now. He's like, what? Moving on. Here's one from Matthew Fisher. Hard Eight. This is such a good story with a great cast and fantastic direction. Leslie Davis says the Cincinnati Kid. Jesse Bickers says Rounders. It's witty, fast-paced, and John Malkovich gives a great performance with a horrible accent. And I love it. <laughs> from Yuri Slotnick, The Hustler. Hands down, the interaction between Newman and Gleason, the brilliant black and white cinematography, and the underrated performance of George C. Scott all contribute to one of the greatest films of all time. And our last one here from Frederico Sierra. Casino Royale plays high stakes on the poker table. I think Craig's performance shows the poker face a super spy has to keep in order to get the job done. My favourite, however, is Heart 8. That movie has incredible characters all around. Thank you very much, everyone, for your responses out there. But, Dean, let's do our top five gambling films. All right, Dean, kick it off as usual. What is your number five? My number five is Ocean's Eleven. Okay, cool. That's a good film. That is a good film. Judging by that response, I bet it's like one on your list or something stupid. No, it won't be one. It'll be two. Well, we'll find out when we get there, won't we? My number five is the film we just spoke about, Casino. Okay. My number four is Rounders. Rounders. Just missed my list, unfortunately. No way. Yeah. Come on. Seriously. Surely you've seen Rounders more than any other film on this list. Definitely not. I don't believe that for a second. My number four is The Sting. Have you seen The Sting? Yes. Have you? Yes. Okay, then. You must have uh, got me to watch it for I think I think I would have, yeah. Yeah, I've definitely seen it. Cool. All right. It's got that uh, iconic music. 
My number three is Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. Well, you were wrong about my rankings here, Dean, because my number three is Ocean's Eleven. Wow, I was way off at two. My number two is Casino Royale. My number two is Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. And that leaves number one for me, Casino. My number one has the same namesake, Casino Royale. No surprises there. And for next week's question of the week, we're going to be asking you, what is your favourite ensemble cast? This is basically a very personal choice for everyone out there. This could mean a ton of different movies. Yeah, an extraordinarily broad yes. uh, topic, but best ensemble cast. All right, it's time to see the results of Pod v Pod 16's movie draft, where we drafted coming-of-age films against Chris and Justin from the Casual Cinecast. Now, since we drafted first, we were Team 1, and we had The Breakfast Club, Stand By Me, American Pie, Pan's Labyrinth, and Goodwill Hunting. And they had 8th grade, Almost Famous, My Girl, The 400 Blows, and Me, Earl, and The Dying Girl. And let's take a look at some responses here. First one from We Watched a Thing said, So easily, IMDb Journey. Not even close. Next up from In Session Film, Damn, that's a tough call. IMDb Journey has the advantage of nostalgia. Eighth grade, in my opinion, though, will go down in a similar way we look at Stand By Me. I loved Me and Earl, but it's hard to say our history will view it. That said, 400 Blows is in my top five of all time, so there you go. Think they voted for casual cinecast there? Good reasoning there, JD. Next one here from the Cinemust. Really, really tough call, but I'm going to go casual cinecast. I hope Pan's Labyrinth will forgive my betrayal. Unlikely. From the Countdown Podcast, I am Debbie Jenny by a massive margin. And our last one here from Netflix and Swill, crossing my fingers that IMDb Journey wins by a larger margin than we lost by, so I can say we weren't the worst loss on the draft. Well, your wish came true, mate. Well done. Because uh, the final result here, 81% to us, the IMDb Journey Podcast. I honestly did not see this blowing out as much as it did. Yeah, uh, this was a shock to me. I mean, you're all right. Well, <laughs> not all. 81% of you are right. But, uh, no. Nah. Yeah, I figured we'd win, but just not by that much. No. So, thanks. And, of course, commiserations to Chris and Justin. You did well, but not well enough. No, we knew well enough, actually. You tried your best <laughs> and you failed. All right, Dean, it's time to get into round two of the best 1960s film tournament, our final eight. First match here is the number one seed, the good, the bad, and the ugly, taking on the number nine seed, the apartment. Next up, we've got Dr. Strangelove against Lawrence of Arabia. Next match here, Psycho against To Kill a Mockingbird. And lastly here, Once Upon a Time in the West against 2001, A Space Odyssey. Couple of quality matches there, Dean. But in regards to our bracket that we filled out? Terrible. It is shocking because... We both picked exactly the same winners. Yeah. All the way through. So, because of that, we are both losers. <laughs> and as punishment, we'll both have to watch a film that the other person gives us. Yes. So, we've got a couple of weeks before we have to decide that. We'll do that at the end of this tournament. So, what's next? All right, Dean. We're at the end of it. It's time to find out what movie you're choosing for us to break down next time. I had a lot of options. Oh, really? <laughs> Quite a few. And I decided to be true to me and pick something that I hold very dear to my heart, and that is Batman Begins. Let's do it. Let's get this ball rolling. I am not disappointed in this at all. Yes. Because we have stipulated that we won't be doing sequels and that until we've done the originals. So with this happening... That means we've got an opportunity to do Dark Knight at some point. Closer. Yeah, and that's one I can't wait to speak about as well. So, 
Yeah, I'm, re- I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a good one. So next week is Pod V Pod 17. We've got another fantastic guest coming up. We'll also be talking about what else we've been watching. Dean, you can't rank the footy matches, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, if I could. If I could rank quarters at least. Uh, no, nah, I'll stop. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> Now, it's going to be another fun podcast next week. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening to this episode. We will see you next week for Pod V Pod 17. Bye.